Hello, and welcome to Just Therapist Things, where we talk all things therapy. My name is Jordan, and I am an associate marriage and family therapist from Southern California. I currently work in a private practice where we focus on child anxiety reduction, and I also do some work for a nonprofit cancer support organization. Hi, all. It is so great to be back. I took a little break because some major life changes have been happening for me. I moved to a completely new city and got a puppy. His name is Winston, and if you hear any ball chewing or squeaker toys during the episode, that is him. It has been wild but great, and I'm so happy to be back with some awesome episodes coming out. Some of the episodes to look out for include topics such as neuroplastic pain, what's it like to date a therapist, studying for licensure, health and wellness, men's mental health, and so much more. I will also have some amazing guests on with me. In this episode, I will be talking about saying goodbye to clients or what the mental health world calls termination. Termination is an odd word to me because it feels so final, and therapy terminations do not always have to be permanent. Also, the word termination seems so intense and scary, and therapy terminations can actually be incredibly meaningful and beautiful. Before discussing saying goodbye, it is important to talk about what clients mean to therapists. Therapy clients are different than clients in other professions. Therapists and clients have a unique relationship because clients share their deepest vulnerabilities with therapists. Most clients and therapists have deep emotional bonds as clients share intimate details about their lives to therapists that they may not even share with close family and friends. In the Psychology Today article titled Bittersweet Saying Goodbye to Therapy Clients, Trauma-certified psychotherapist Roger M. Kahak says, The arena I work in is steeped in vulnerability. Clients tell me their deepest, darkest secrets, stories and feelings they have never shared with anyone. Raw emotions are accessed, processed, and navigated. Tears flow. Challenges are issued and confrontations are had. Consequently, we, client and clinician, become inextricably attached. It's unavoidable. As this quote says, therapists really see their clients for their whole person, the strengths and weaknesses and everything in between. We see the full human experience, no matter the age, race, cultural, gender differences. We connect with our clients in so many ways. If done right, Therapy will allow clients to confront their deepest regrets, vulnerabilities, and challenges. This is also such a unique relationship because clients share their entire selves with therapists while we only share small or no parts of us. Although we share deep emotional connections to our clients, we act as unbiased guides, support systems, or soundboards for clients rather than friends or family. We care deeply for each other in a professional way, however, are not ethically able to have a relationship outside of the therapy room. When we end the relationship, we cannot connect via social media or anything like that, 
as we may do with an old friend. It is a difficult dance that this profession requires to toe the line of strong emotional connection while maintaining emotional boundaries. It is an odd and profound relationship. This is what makes saying goodbye to clients so hard. Saying goodbye to clients happens for a variety of reasons, and it does not always have to be permanent. In some cases, clients can take a pause from therapy for weeks, months, even years, and then decide to return to the same therapist. It is completely the client's choice. However, a therapist should always treat determination as permanent unless it is a specific pause such as, let's resume in three months when finances are more secured, or let's resume after you come back from your trip. The best goodbye is when the therapeutic relationship has a planned ending for the reason that the client is at a good place and they are able to function and cope with life stressors without regular sessions. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. Some reasons that the therapeutic relationship ends include that the relationship is not a good fit for one or both parties, the client's presenting problem is out of the therapist's scope of competence or practice, finances are an issue, a big life change occurs, the therapist realizes that the client needs a higher level of care, the client ghosts the therapist, or it could be because something not so great happens. So let's go through some of these. First off, finances or a big life change are pretty self-explanatory. Terminations happen for the reason of finances if a client cannot afford to pay for therapy services anymore and there are no options for the therapist to lower the cost. Terminations for this reason do not have to be final, but can sometimes be a pause in sessions until the client is financially ready to resume. If a client does not have means to pay your rates or is having insurance issues, it is the therapist's ethical responsibility to share lower cost or insurance resources with the client. Bartering is an interesting option too, and it is something that is actually not illegal in a therapeutic relationship, but if you think that you may barter with a client, you have to be really strict with professional boundaries and make sure that it is ethically appropriate. Personally, this is not something that I have ever done, and I really do not believe it's something that I will ever do, but of course, it is completely up to each therapist and, of course, up to the client as well. Big life changes that may deem a person unable to continue therapy sessions include that the client or therapist moves, the therapist changes careers or locations, a major personal change occurs, or many other reasons. If you all listen to my Psychology of Big Life Changes episode, you know about my experience with moving and how that affected me. This is an example of how you can have a planned ending with clients, and I will discuss this more later on, and personally, how my move impacted some of my clients in my therapeutic relationships. Another planned ending that is also a big life change for therapists and clients is when therapists complete our graduate school practicum requirement. In our practicum program, it depends on you know, each different school and each um, master's program, but usually practicum lasts for 
one or two years. And with the practicum, we do disclose to our clients that we are therapists in training and that we have a limited amount of sessions or time at that specific setting. Although this is a planned ending, this is also a big life change that definitely affects the therapeutic relationship. Another reason for termination occurs when a client's presenting problem is out of the therapist's scope of practice or competence. And this is when a therapist does not feel equipped to handle the client's presenting problem due to lack of training or it is not in their practice. This is not a therapist just not wanting to deal with the client, but it takes some serious and professional contemplation. An example of a presenting problem being out of the scope of a therapist's practice would be if a client who struggles with an eating disorder comes to a therapist at a practice where this therapist specializes in play therapy with children. Although this therapist has been trained in graduate school on how to work with eating disorders, the therapist knows that this client is out of the scope of this therapist's current practice and would benefit more elsewhere. This therapist has an ethical responsibility to refer this client to a therapist, practice, or clinic that specializes in eating disorders. An example of a presenting problem that is out of the scope of a therapist's competence is if a client wants a specific type of therapy or specialization such as EMDR therapy and the therapist is not trained in this type of therapy or specialization. The therapist has an ethical and legal responsibility to refer this client out. Referrals for both of these reasons should happen early on in the therapeutic relationship or ideally following the first phone call or meeting. The therapist should determine early on whether or not they are best suited to help this client. The next reason for termination is if the therapeutic relationship is not a good fit for one or both parties. This could be based on so many factors, including personality, style, or honestly, for any other reason. This is vague and it really depends. It can just be based on a feeling that one or the other person has. Usually, though, it should be the client who determines whether or not this relationship is a good fit for them. Therapists also need to be aware of these feelings and address personal biases. And it's also important for therapists to unpack a client's hesitancy. If it seems like, you know, it might not just be a style thing, but there could be an underlying reason why this client is resistant to just therapy in general. Other reasons why a therapist may not be a good fit for a client is if the client is looking for a specific theoretical orientation, such as cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy, let's say, and this does not match what the therapist practices. On the other hand, what could occur is that a therapist and a client already have a relationship when the therapist determines that this client may benefit from a different therapy modality. This is completely okay, and, you know, if a therapist has a feeling like that, then they should definitely talk to the client about this. However, as I've said multiple times before, it is ultimately up to the client whether they decide to stick with the therapist or not. 
in some circumstances, it is okay and it does happen that a therapist just cannot work with a specific client. This is usually rare and, of course, should be deeply processed by the therapist. The most glaring reason for this to happen is if the therapist feels that they're unsafe with the client or the client is being inappropriate with the therapist. Another reason that a relationship is not a good fit is if there is a dual relationship with the client. If possible, this relationship should be acknowledged early on in sessions. However, I have heard stories where a therapist has been seeing a client for many months before realizing that the relationship issues that the client is bringing up are with the therapist's best friend's brother or something like that. If a dual relationship like this is realized, it is necessary that it is explored and acknowledged. In small rural settings, dual relationships are often unavoidable and are acceptable to have, although they still need to be addressed. Clients also may look for a therapist who has experience with or connects with their special population needs. Examples of this could be an Asian American woman who is looking for an Asian American therapist, a parent who is looking for a therapist who specializes in specific learning disorders for their child, or a person seeking out an LGBT plus therapist to explore challenges specific to the LGBT plus community. Clients find me because I treat the special populations of people affected by cancer, and I also do exposure therapy for OCD and other anxiety disorders. If a client came to me with, let's say, a specific presenting problem related to postnatal depression, I could treat them and I would be very happy to treat them. However, I would know that this client may be more suited for a therapist who specializes in women's issues. I am pretty straight up with clients when I find that this happens. When clients have come to me with a presenting challenge, I have said to them before, I am trained to work with this challenge and I have some experience with it. However, I do want to let you know that X therapist or Y clinic does have more experience and I want to provide you with those resources if you want to look into those. After saying this, clients have looked into the resources and have chosen to stay with me. And I've also had clients say, thank you so much for the transparency. I'm going to go with the therapist you recommended. I have found that doing this really builds trust with clients because they know that I will be honest with them and I really do want what is best for them overall. Every therapist has their own therapeutic identity and specialization, and not every therapist is right for every client. These types of terminations truly demonstrate that our main priority is the client's well-being above all else. The next reason for termination is when a therapist realizes that the client needs a higher level of care. This can look like if a client needs to go to an inpatient treatment facility, a rehab facility, a hospital etc. This can take the form of a crisis situation such as a 5150 for a suicide risk, but it could also be a gradual transition. In my experience, it is a nerve-wracking conversation to have with a client when you feel that they need a higher level of care, but it is always important to reassure them that you have their best interests at heart. When you realize a client needs a higher level of care, it is important to consult with others in your practice to make sure you are taking all the necessary steps 
or to consult with your liability insurance to make sure that you are covered and everything is going correctly. And it is necessary to gather a list of referrals for the client. You can also call a clinic or treatment center ahead of time to ask if they have availabilities and let them know that you have a client who could benefit from their care. Some clients may like to know that you will be there for them when they get out of the higher care program. If a client is high risk, it is definitely probably not appropriate to say, no, we need to terminate. But also if a client is not high risk and you think that they do really want to resume the therapeutic relationship with you, you can say that you would really like them to focus on the treatment there in the program, but they can reach out to you when they're out of the program and you both can discuss what is the best option for them moving forward. The next reason for termination is if the client ghosts the therapist. As you can guess, this is when a client stops responding to you and stops showing up for sessions. This sometimes can be the one that hurts the most because you really do not get closure at all on the relationship. Often when this happens, it is a gradual ghosting where they miss a few sessions here and there, but respond to your message saying they will come next time. And then they say that they will get back to you to resume sessions and one day the messages stop. I always remember something that I was told in grad school that you should never try harder than the client is trying. When I feel that a client is pulling away, I bring it up with them and face it head on. When the ghosting starts, I do pretty consistently reach out to the client, sometimes remind them of the session. I remind them of my cancellation policy if needed and emphasize with them how important it is to continue treatment for their progress. I also do acknowledge that it seems like, you know, you're pulling away a little bit. Um, if you are, if you need a pause in therapy or a termination, then let's get on a call and discuss this. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And if a client goes to the therapist, it's usually not a reflection on the therapist, but it is just circumstantial or it's because the client is just not ready for therapy at this time in their life. The last reason for termination that I'm going to discuss is when something not so great happens. So what I mean by this is when a therapeutic relationship is ended prematurely for the reason of a rupture in the relationship. And this could be for many different circumstances. It could be something inappropriate happened. It could be someone said something that the other took offense to. And it can even be because of death. Although necessary, sometimes an abuse report can cause irreparable damage to the therapeutic relationship. This is a risk that we as mandated reporters make, and in order to protect our clients, we know that we may cause a relationship rupture by reporting abuse. If the therapeutic relationship crosses boundaries or turns inappropriate in any way or there's a feeling of unsafety, on the therapist's end or the client's end. These are, of course, reasons that can end the therapeutic relationship before treatment is completed and necessary legal and ethical steps need to be taken. Another reason, as I said previously, 
is if something is said or treatment is done in a way that offends the client. This has unfortunately happened to me before, where when I meant to challenge a client's way of thinking in order to provoke deeper conversation, the client became offended and did not want to repair the relationship. They subsequently sought out another therapist. Although upsetting, things like this happen because of the deep bonds we make with clients and also because of personality style and just temperament of being humans. This does not always mean that there has been a mistake. One of the most heartbreaking premature terminations to me is when a therapist and a child client have a strong supportive bond and a parent removes a child from therapy before they are ready. Examples of this can be if a child is emotionally upset by a parent and unpacks this in therapy. Then the child may start acting differently at home or interacting with the parents differently in order to cope and help themselves, and the parent believes that the therapist is putting ideas in their child's head. It could also be something like a child is exploring their gender identity and the parent does not agree with the therapist supporting this exploration. These terminations are so difficult because since a child cannot legally consent to treatment, unless, of course, there are special circumstances, it really is the parent's decision of whether they continue to let their child see you. And of course, the most difficult is death, death of the therapist or the client. I have not had any client deaths when I was in active treatment with the client. However, I have had multiple former client deaths and support group member deaths in my work with people affected by cancer. Client deaths are so heavy and carry such mixed emotions. We are so connected to clients and we need to maintain professional boundaries even in death. We grieve them. However, sometimes we are not notified of their death in a direct way or invited to the memorial. Sometimes it is not appropriate to reach out to the family to offer sympathies, and sometimes it is. It really just depends. It is difficult to process the death of clients because we often sit in our grief alone. This is because we need to maintain confidentiality still, even in death, and it is hard for those who have not experienced a therapeutic relationship to understand the weight of the grief. I posted a reel on my Just Therapist Things Instagram that specifically addresses grieving the death of clients. Check that out if you are interested. As you can probably guess, I have personally had amicable, gradual, and terrible endings with clients. The amicable, amicable endings are usually a planned termination, which I will go over in a moment. The gradual endings are when clients transition from weekly to every other week to once a month, and then the ending kind of just happens naturally. This spacing out of sessions, of course, should only happen if the therapist thinks that is best for the client. And usually when this happens, it means that a client is coping well and does not need as much therapeutic support. And the terrible endings are the ones that I have just discussed. None of these are easy and all hold some version of grief. Having closure is ideal, and it can sometimes hurt the clients when you do not have closure. Whether you get closure or not really is on a case-by-case -case basis, 
but therapists should strive to get closure with clients. One of the hardest parts of the therapeutic relationship to me is that you are not connected to your clients via social media or by phone after they leave. So we have no way of knowing what their life has turned out like or if they are okay outside of your care. This is so odd and so difficult, but it is part of the process. So now let's talk about how to have a planned ending. The planned endings that I have had with clients are because of my graduate school practicum program and also because of my recent move. We are told in graduate school that we should begin preparing for termination in the first session. This is especially true when you have a limited number of sessions as I did in my practicum. My practicum was a year long and I had about seven to eight sessions with each client. This was well communicated with clients during our initial phone call and throughout our sessions, and I got really good at terminations because of this. It really was an accelerated therapy process, and we could really only focus on one life stressor due to the limited amount of sessions. Having a limited amount of sessions or time with a client is probably the easiest type of plan termination because you have a strict plan to follow. Plan terminations because of my move to a different city was a bit more challenging. I did a lot of consultation with my supervisor and other colleagues to determine the amount of time before the move that I should tell my clients and or their parents. I decided to tell my clients' parents at least three months before the move. In most of these situations, I told the parents before telling the client and discussed with the parents what the best approach may be to tell their child. If a child had a stressful period coming up in their lives or they had some difficulties with concepts of time, we decided to wait until closer to the move date. With other clients, specifically older children who were able to be more a part of the transition process, I told them sooner. Before talking to the parents, I contacted my wonderful colleagues to see who may have availability if I were to transition a client to them. This proved to be a good choice because instead of saying to the parents, I'm moving, good luck, you're on your own now, I was able to tell them, I have been contacting excellent therapists who I think would be a great fit for your child so that your child can continue their process. I also made sure to tell the parents how much I have valued working with their family and that I will help them as much as I can with this transition. It was a lot of work to be so involved with matching clients to other therapists, facilitating meetings and phone calls, but it was all worth it to have the clients and their parents feel so supported. I was very nervous to tell the parents and clients about my move, but all were incredibly supportive. Some were sad, some cried, some didn't seem to care too much, which was fine, (laughs) but all were so kind and supportive of my life change. After I told my clients about my move and that we will need to end sessions, I used that as an opportunity to reflect on the work we have done together so far and refocus our work in the time that we have left together. Let's say, for example, that I told a client that I was going to move and then I had 10 more sessions with them. I would not remind them every session that our time is limited, but I would mention it or they would mention it every so often. 
If a client brings up the planned ending, it is necessary to process it with them as much as they need to. Also be aware to tie up any loose ends of treatment and finish up any conversations so you do not leave anything without closure. This takes a lot of preparation and effort, but it is so important for the client. Something else that I did that made me and my clients feel secure in the transition is I hopped on the phone with each new therapist that I was transferring clients to and provided them with tools that we have learned and activities that we have done in session already. I also set up meetings where the new therapist would come into session and meet the client or the client's parents to see if they may be a good fit. This proved so helpful to the clients because they felt like they had some control over this transition. And some of the hesitation to transition to a new therapist comes with having to repeat your whole life story to someone else. So I found that the clients really appreciated when I spoke to the new therapist directly. So the final session comes and it is super weird. It is the last time this client will step into your office, sit on your couch, and tell you about their day. I acknowledge right away that this is our last meeting and allow space for them to process. You can also just, if they want to, talk about what happened to them that day or during their week, and that is completely fine as well. I open the space to reflect on our time together, the progress they have made, and where they are in their therapy journey. I always let the client know that the sessions have been very meaningful to me. I say something like, I have really valued our sessions together, or I have really valued our time together. And it's important to let the clients praise you too. Don't try to deflect or redirect, but just take in their gratitude. This could look like saying to them, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Or thank you so much. I appreciate your words. And, you know, don't let the praise go on for too long, like for the whole session, you know, but just let them kind of get it out and then redirect back to them. As I said previously in this episode, you are treating it as a forever goodbye. So don't say something like, maybe we will see each other again. You know, treat it like this is the last time you are going to see them. And you can acknowledge that you are going to miss them and this is hard for you too and that you wish them all the best. And that is completely okay to say. Something else that I did for my clients is I wrote them a little note so that they could take home and, you know, they could look at when they need to. And in the note, I really, I told them that I have really appreciated them and valued their vulnerability. And I have said things that I appreciate about them, you know, like I appreciate your strength and your openness and your love of life and something like, I hope you always keep that with you. Um, And, you know, kind of just wish them the best and know that they had an impact on me just as I had an impact on them. Goodbyes are also hard and kind of awkward sometimes, especially when you're walking the client out at the end of session. And it's hard to know, do we hug? What do we do? It's kind of awkward. And what I have found is that I don't, you know, go in for the hug 
and kind of initiate it. A therapist should never really do that. You should just kind of observe and see what the client is feeling. And, you know, some of the clients I did hug and they said to me, can I give you a hug? And I said, yes, you know, or as a child, a child kind of just went in for it. And so I gave them a hug back. Other clients I did not give a hug to, and that is completely okay as well. It really is just what the client wants. And so it's so important to observe their body language and also just kind of know their history, know who they are as a person before you see if you want, if they want to give a hug or not. Having these goodbyes was super hard and I definitely cried on the drive home after each one of them. However, it was so validating that I have an impact on these clients and they have a huge impact on me. Goodbyes make me appreciate clients even more than I already do and honestly remind me that there are incredibly good people in the world and I was lucky enough to have deep relationships with some of them. We love you clients. Thanks for listening to Just Therapist Things, and I will talk to you soon.